There's a five-step sales process that my entire team has bought into because they know it works. So the five steps are intro, fact find, your pitch, your offer, and your close. And I am a firm believer if one through four is done right, number five, which is closing the deal, should be the easiest part of the entire Crazy. conversation. Because now they are dealing with somebody they like, trust, and want to do business. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. All right, welcome to another episode of The Azria Show, guys. This is Marcus Maloney, your host, and we have our Executive Director Mike Del Prince here with us. How you doing, Mike? Hello, hello. Excited to be here, man. Excited to talk to Eric and what he has in store for us today. All right, guys. And you know that our whole goal is to empower real estate investors one property at a time. And I know that Eric is going to bring some value to us. So guys, get ready. Strap on your seatbelts. Get ready for some turbulence because we're about to blast off and we're about to go, right? Because Eric is a high-energy guy bills for rally north carolina right sales and marketing guy we're going to be talking about wholesaling we're going to be talking about transaction this guy has closed 2.6 million in assignment fees in his first 12 months in the business at a 58 percent profit margin right so i hope you're hearing that clearly so get ready grab your pencils paper notepad ipad whatever i got my pads here so we can take notes so man eric how are you doing sir I'm doing good, man. I appreciate y'all for having me on here. It's always good to chop it up with like-minded people. Yes, yes. Excellent, excellent, man. So kind of for the listeners, man, give us your backstory, who you are, where did you come from, what are you doing? Yeah, without taking up the entire episode, mm -hmm. I'll give the elevator pitch. I'm, I'm 42 years old. I reside, like you just said, in Raleigh, North Carolina, man. I am a happily, happily married man. To my wife, she's been my day one, my ride or die chick. And I got two beautiful kids. And my life isn't, isn't today what it's always been. I come from, I was born and raised right outside of Chicago, Illinois. So who, who, uh, who, what part we're at? So I say right outside of Chicago because no one's heard of Rockford, Illinois. Oh, man, we know where Rockford is at, man. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> But from, from 13 to 28 is, is I, I tell everybody I was, I was a lost soul. Like I was, I started using and abusing drugs and alcohol at a very, very early age. And it lasted all the way till I was 28 years old. And the drug that ultimately just crippled me was crack cocaine. And uh, it's a drug that I said, I never do. You'd see the crackheads walk in the streets and lo and behold, I put a pipe to my mouth and I couldn't put that thing down for five, almost six years. And everyone asked me, why did you get clean or how did you get clean? And I did hit my bottom. You know, they say everyone has a bottom and my bottom was literally either life or death. At 28, I was, I was 135 pounds. I had been on an eight day run of no sleep 
lighten my 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 pipe off of a, a, a gas burning stove. I had singed all my eyebrows, my eyelashes. I had blisters all over my face because I, I was so close to the flame. And this lasted mm. for, for eight days straight. And I saw so clearly that I was hallucinating at the time, but it was a very clear vision of I was either going to get right or I was going to go six feet under. And there was... It was it was it clear as day. So on October 8th of 2009, which I got tattooed on my knuckles, is the day I decided to start living and not die. And I have ever since then, so I got over 14 years clean and sober today. I don't do any mood or mind-altering drugs. And I have I am forever grateful for the for the game of sales because mm-hmm. it has changed my life. And when I say sales, I do all of my stuff virtually. I don't do face-to-face sales. So any business that I've been a part of or started for the last 14 years has all been over a telephone. And I've been ripping and running for 14 years at a pretty high level when it comes to building sales teams over a telephone. Okay. Well, yeah, man. I mean, so let's go back to the sales. You know, you're running a call center. You you organically, it sounded like, built a sales team that turned into a call center business. Those are two, right? You're still running a selling a product and you're running the call center. So what was that yeah. like? It was, uh, man, for me, it was that drug. It was that <laughs> that that sober drug I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I, the first time I walked into a call center, I, I actually, while I was living in a halfway house, I am heavily tattooed from the neck down to my ankles, like mm-hmm. damn near completely full. And I was having a hard time getting a job when I got out of treatment. And I was, I almost was forced. I was very limited. So there was a, a piece of paper hanging on the door of my halfway house that said telemarketers wanted fit for $15 an hour. And that piece of paper was my in to a call center. And there was two guys that ran this company. And when I walked in for the interview, there was like 200 plus people on the phones. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I got chills as soon as I walked in. And I was like, holy shit. I see people that look like me. They talk like me. They walk like (laughs) me. I saw a tattoo guys. And I'm like, I think I can fit in in this environment. And so I worked at that company for a year and a half and became their number one guy. And I always tell the story of, I wasn't their number one guy because I was the most talented person in that room. I had just come from the bottom. Like I was knocking on death's door. So for me, like I was on the, I was climbing the, I was the wolf climbing the hill. Like, so I was hungrier than everybody in that room and I just outworked them all. And then once I could get skill and I could put that with work ethic, you take those two things, skill and work ethic, you're a dangerous human being. Huge. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you were doing this call center, man, and you had the hunger, you had the skill, you had the passion. What were you guys calling on? Let's just start there because I worked in the call center when I was in college, man. And we were selling like Omaha steaks and stuff like that. Wasn't the most passionate thing to call about, you know, but I did the yeah. job. So what were, what were you guys selling? 
Yeah, so what I was in a part of the company where they would test pilot campaigns. So I got real early in my career of being on the phones, I got to switch a lot of campaigns. So I had to pick it up quick. So we did ADT home alarm systems where we would get appointments for people to go out to their homes. We did debt repair, debt consolidation. I did auto warranties. There might have been one more. I thought there was five of them, okay. but that's four different campaigns in a matter of a year and a half. And I excelled at all of them. So okay. I got to cut my teeth on trying something new often in the very beginning. So I'm pretty sure you got used to the word no, right? Or just hang ups, stuff like that. How did you get over the psyche of that, that rejection and everything like that? Because that's one of the things when people start getting into real estate investing or wholesaling, you know, they always say you got to get on the phone, but then they start getting that rejection and they start feeling bummed out. How did you overcome that? That's a really good question. And you're actually the first, probably one of the first people to actually ask that, in question, that question. And it's super important because you're going to hear that word way more than you're going to hear the other one, which is yes. Yeah. And for me, I had the, pleasure of being my very first shot of being in a call center just so happened to be a massive one. So like I had guys around me that were able to let me know what I was up against before I was ever even up against it. Mm -hmm. And they, so they would tell me, they're like, listen, the whole cliche, the more no's you get, the closer you are to a yes. Well, right. that's just, that's as true as it gets though. Yeah. As, as long as you keep going. So for me, for me, how did I get through it? Listen, in the beginning, I was hungry. I was a hungry dude. When I say hungry, I was literally hungry. Okay. So I knew I went prior to jumping into call center. I went from job interview, job interview, job interview. I don't know how many job interviews I went to, but I was denied by all of them because of my appearance. So when mm -hmm. I got a shot on the phones, like I knew I had to make this work. Like there was no, in my mind, there was no plan B for me. I'm like, everyone else is telling me I'm unemployable. This guy's saying I, I, I got a shot. So what I did, and I shit you not, you're saying, how did you be okay with no's? I mm. was a student of the game the day I walked in there. I would go home at night, I shit you not, with my scripts, my objections, my rebuttals, everything, and I would memorize these things until I couldn't get it wrong. Like, I, I, was, I was a student to the game where I was like, I have to make this work. And for the first time in my life at 28 years old, being the first commission job I'd ever taken, I was like, this is all up to me to write my own paycheck. So I was really big back then and today and train, 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 train to where you can't fuck it up. And okay. It's, okay. It's so important, man. Like, cause, uh, a couple basic things, right? Obviously you said there's skill, right? Skill is something you, you build over time, right? And there's different ways you could say things, present things as you get better on the phone. But even if like you're new to wholesaling, you're new to any type of sales work, just the fundamentals will you can be successful with the fundamentals, just the energy and the enthusiasm is a skill. Hungry, practice training, and I'm assuming you had a coach of some level or a mentor on the floor. So it's like, if you just 
took that right there, you can get deals done in our business. Yes, 100%. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Today, I actually have, with my last company, I, I created my own five-step sales process. It's not a white label. I didn't steal it from nobody. It is my five-step sales process, and I break it down in great detail. But when I came into this script in my or into this industry, I came in with a script I created before I ever made a phone call. Today, now my script is over eleven pages. It's like I think almost twelve pages long. With I am a firm believer, if you're going to do anything where you want to bring on team, a team and start building a team, you got to have a system and a process for everybody to buy into in order to get consistent results. So True. like, and I know each one of my cubicles in my office today, I know exactly how many leads I need to feed that cubicle and how many contracts it's going to spit out every single month. And it's like clockwork because the whole team is bought into my sales process and they use my sales script. So before, before we lead into the, I, I want to break all that down for sure. So mm -hmm. let's just say, how, so let's start segueing into call center world yeah. into real estate. Yep. So call center world, I worked in that company for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. I became really good and good enough to where my confidence had built up. Mm -hmm. When I first took the job, I had a low self-esteem. I had the fear of rejection. I had social anxiety. I had the phone fear that I'm sure a lot of the listeners on here had or are facing, like I had that. I had probably the worst case of phone fear that a human could have where I would get panic attacks. As soon as they said, hello, I'd be like, oh shit, what do I do? So like I went uh -huh. through all of that, but I just worked through it. Like all those feelings are normal and you're not gonna get, a, uh, you can't just hide from those. You gotta push through those. So after a year and a half, of being the first one to show up, the last one there, just hungry as could be to get myself out of the situation I was in. I felt I cared about that company more than the owner did. I really, I truly did. I said, man, I feel I care more about what goes on inside these walls than the actual owner did. So I looked at my, my girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife, and I was like, Shiloh, I said, we got enough skill to go and do this on our own now. Like I've learned the basics of what it takes to have a conversation over a phone and convert really just about any industry. It doesn't matter what you're selling. It's really insert product or service and you're having the same type of a conversation. So me and my wife ended up starting a, a company from our bedroom in the timeshare exit industry. I did not know what a timeshare was. I had really never heard of them, but there's a service where you can help people break them. And we had two cordless phones sitting on my wife's desk. I bought a stack of paper leads. And for a year and a half, we called those leads. She was my appointment setter or my qualifier. As soon as she would get somebody on, she would hand me a phone. I'd run upstairs so she could keep dialing the <laughs> list and she would set me an appointment. Well, so, so we're real quick, Eric, go back. How long did you guys do that? We called a paper list for about a year to almost a year and a half. And I'm, okay, I want to, yeah, real quick, Mark, what did you just do it for one hour a day, two hours a day? Say that again. How many hours a day did you do? One hour, two hours? 
Bro, <laughs> I was I was grinding, dog. I know, man. Yeah, yeah there was no no. This was a it, this is no bullshit. I have zero reasons yeah. to fluff anything. I was a sun up to sundown guy in the beginning. Literally, I was grinding. Now, were there days? Some days where it was just like I didn't have it in me. Of course, there was. But when me and my wife went to go do our own thing for the first time, like we had, she had a daughter from a previous relationship that I ended up adopting mm -hmm. my daughter, but we had a, we had a bun in the oven. Like we had a kid on the way and I, I wasn't going to fail, man. Like I had gotten a second yep. chance at life and I was taking full advantage of this shit. So no, I worked my tail off. Yeah. And, and we, we, we asking you those questions because we have a lot of people that come in and they want to get started and they first get rejected and then they give up or they say, Hey, I called for an hour and nobody answered. So we know you got to make thousands of calls and you got to hear thousands of no's before you start really converting deals. So yeah, you just tooting that correct horn is what we're saying. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and if you could give some advice on because it sounds like you had a lot of very important drivers in your life from, you know, leaving drugs, right, to sure. being passionate about that call center. I, I guarantee you did care about that company more than the owner because it saved your life practically, right? Yeah. And now we got a kid on the way on, on the next one. So these are big pushers, but some mm -hmm. of us have a job, right? And we work nine to five. We're a little comfortable. We want to change our lives. We want something better, but we don't have that driver yet so like what kind of advice would you give to someone like that figure out why man yeah. you, you know what i mean it, it again that sounds cliche mm -hmm. but it's like are are you sick of the job you're at enough to where you're willing to put in the fuck the excuse my language are you willing good. to put mm -hmm. in the grind to be the one to be that one where you actually get to get up whether you give your two weeks or you give them the two birds on the way out <laughs> and you get to light, live the life most people dream of. Most people mm -hmm. dream of it. That's, you know, I always uh, talk about the one percenters. People, there's a reason there's a one percent club because 99% of the people aren't willing to do what we do. Yeah. They just Money. are. And, uh, you know, if you're sick of that nine to five job, it's in. There's, if, if you really allocate your time, I'm doing 75 hard right now. And it is all about discipline. And I knew that was the one area of my life that was, is, was lacking. And like, if I'm, I can be real disciplined about certain things I want to be disciplined about. And then other things I just let to go to shit. Right. So this book has taught me and this program has taught me, man, we got so much more time than we think we have. We got so much more time than we, th this thing right here, I bet you more people spend time on this, this little thing that goes yep. in our pocket called a cell phone. If they really wanted to get honest with themselves, check your screen time and see how much time you got. Exactly. Looking at social exactly. media, looking at all this nonsense that ain't got nothing to do with you getting mm -hmm. better. Most of it's bullshit and negativity that's feeding your brain. So we, we all got plenty of time to make shit happen. Okay. So, so how did you, um, Eric, so you went through the timeshare industry. You was really, really successful at that and everything. How did you get introduced to the whole concept of real estate wholesale? It's, it's cause of the model. 
The mo- this mm-hmm. model wholesaling is nothing more than sales and marketing. I never once said I was getting into the real estate industry. I was mm-hmm. jumping back into the seat of a sales and marketing model. The, the, the lead that was being dropped into the model for me just so happened to be a house and a distressed yep. owner that needed access to cash. So, and that's the way I looked at it. I had done a little bit of research. Um, a, a guy that I knew told me about the wholesale industry and he goes, Eric, this is very similar to the last business that you had. It's just a different lead is really right. all it was. Right. Lead. True. Uh, because I was dealing with distressed timeshare owners. These are distressed homeowners. Homeowners. Yeah. And it, literally, the conversations are almost the same. So mm-hmm. I, for like six months, I was teetering on whether or not I was going to get in this space. I just settled a lawsuit for millions of dollars that I had to pay out. And I knew I had to do something. And, uh, but I don't like, I'm a guy that doesn't like to work. Meaning if I, if my heart is not in it, I feel like I'm working and I don't like getting Mm -hmm. up and going to work. So when I, when I jumped into the wholesale industry, it was so similar to my last business. I I was able to, I I felt like I wasn't working because I love what I literally love what I do. I knew a guy that knew a guy that told me about wholesaling. And before I knew it, I was sitting down at a computer, two computer screens, a wireless headset. I hired in the very beginning, a few cold callers to dish me leads. And uh, man, it was off to the races for me. It really was. People ask okay. me, tell me about your first deal. I couldn't tell you about the first one because as soon as I locked that contract up, I was on to a second one. That's great, man. And this is a, a breath of fresh air because I, I love, because everyone that wants to get into wholesaling or real estate investing, they think they have to start with wholesaling at some level and they think they need to have all their ducks in the row and they think they need to understand all this information. And you're just taking it, like you said, like a model. It's a product, right? Um, yeah. And you're, you're dropping it into a system that you created years ago or, or over the years. So let's just start digging into that. So what was your first like, okay, I got to go get a lead to drop into my model. So what what did you do? How'd you how'd you figure that out? Who do what how where'd you get your leads? Like what how'd you know to get a motivated seller? You know? Yep. I'll I'll give you my business model and and it, I'll tell you exactly what we do here. So um after doing a little bit of buying leads and figure out, I always call it the lowest hanging fruit of who is the most, in my opinion, this is all my opinion, but this is how yep. I run my entire business. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be the most likely to sell me their house? So our entire business model is we go after absentee owner data. That's it. We keep our home values under 300 grand. We do 20 to 100% equity. We exclude LLC and trustee owned properties. Right now, I think I'm in six or seven states. I'm in North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana. That's six. There might be one more. And the way we buy our data is I buy all the major cities in that state. And then I buy anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes outside of the major city. So people say, well, what happens when you run out of data? I pop into a new market is what happens. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing I love about wholesaling, especially virtually wholesaling, is the United States is my backyard. Yep. 
So, and, and it's, 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 it's amazing that you say that, Eric, because me and you, we never met, never talked. This is our first time really talking. And your demographics for your leads is almost identical to mine. It's agency owners, and we go from 50 to 100% equity. The only difference is you're at 20, we're at 50. That's it. We're not really looking yep. for divorcees. We're not looking for anything because when you do that absentee owner, you're capturing a lot of data at one time. So yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, because it's, it's not rocket science. I have, I just don't overthink it. I really don't. Yep. And people ask, people have asked me over the last, cause like I, I go and, and speak at events and stuff like that. And they're like, man, why, why don't you try homes over 500 grand? Or why don't you pull pre, uh, pre-probate or pro and I'm like, I could, I know I'm, there's more deals out there than what I'm getting, but like, I'm good where I'm at right now. It's producing for me. Right. Like I, I don't want to get sidetracked and start pulling all this different data. What is, what we are pulling, we have dialed in. So like, we'll send that data out to a cold call company. I just so happen to own the cold call company. And okay. I know for every cold caller, I'm going to get two to three leads per day of people that said, that's my house and I'm willing to sell it in six months or less. So when, when somebody, this is what I look at it, that I don't think enough people put uh, weight on is what the homeowner goes through before it ever hits my CRM. So mm -hmm. I know multiple things about that person that they don't even know I know. So I know you spent three to five minutes with somebody in another country telling them they wanted to, you wanted to sell your house and they called you completely out of the blue. Like mm -hmm. you don't listen to that conversation unless you're motivated or there's right. a level of interest to sell your house or you're hanging up on that person. So I already know you spent three to five minutes with somebody in another country talking about your house. Now, when they get to my CRM, I know, now the homeowner doesn't know I think like this, but I know mm -hmm. you're an inexperienced landlord because you have the home in your personal name and not in an LLC or a trust, so you're not protected. Mm -hmm. I know that about you. I also know, because I've had enough conversations, that more than likely you have a tenant in there paying below market rent on a month-to-month -month lease. So I already know that about you. I also know that if I broke the numbers down to you, this house is not producing money for you. It's probably costing you money. Costing you, yep. Right? So there's all this stuff I know about this person. So, and then we are, we are, and then I know they got 20 to 100% equity in the home. Equity. Like that is the best lead in my opinion. It doesn't get any better than that. Great. And these are all cold call leads. So we're, we convert on cold call data of leads that get sent to us by our cold callers. We convert on a good month, 21 leads to a contract. On a bad month, 35 leads to a contract. We hover <laughs> almost all of 2023. If I pulled the numbers right now, we're probably at 29 leads to a contract for cold call data. Hey, real quick, Eric, if we could back up, because you said you going back to the leads, you, yes. you gave us your lead lit, the type of lead criteria. Are you like buying the whole county? Are you buying the raw data and skipping it? Or are you buying like cheap leads? Like, 
Ooh, how are you breaking that down? Yeah, great question. So we will right now, because you know, we're now going into our third year, we, we're buying the county for mm-hmm. absentee owner data. Yes. But in the beginning, listen, I, I, I was a one-man band in the beginning. So I'd go mm-hmm. and buy 10, 20,000 leads. That would last me a couple of months. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I would just continue the process. Right. Okay. Awesome, man. Wow, you're really breaking it down, man. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, uh, of course. Really, really simple. A lot of people can't I'm do in, that. Yeah. <laughs> about how so I'm really doing, doing this. Guy yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So about how many calls per day is one cold caller producing for you? I knew you would ask that question. Um, <laughs> so I don't run the cold callers, but okay. to, to, to the best of my knowledge, they're making anywhere between like 450 to almost 700 calls a day, yeah, but that's... They, they're on an auto dialer. So that's not right. manually dialing. Right. And that's, 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 that's a wrap about right within scope, 450 yep. to 700. Okay. Yep. All right. Perfect. Perfect. So tell us about your training process, right? For cold callers, because it's the only way that you can justify your data and your metrics, right? Is by having that proven system that you talked about. And normally it's all cold callers saying the same thing, same scripts, everything like that to produce a similar outcome. So how do you guys do some of your training with your cold callers? Yeah, another great question. Man, you're asking, a lot of people just ask these boring-ass questions. <laughs> so, I, I like the questions. Because we, really, we really do this, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell who's in the business and who's not in the business. Yeah. Um, so when I, when I got into this industry, I very quickly realized the hardest part for us is going to be all the inexperienced people out there calling these homeowners. And I knew that. I knew right away, I'm like, all right, how am I going to separate myself? How is my conversation going to sound any different than the last hundred phone calls that this homeowner has received? So I looked at that from an acquisitions or a closer standpoint, but to take it a step back, the cold callers. I now have, and I haven't always had my own cold calling company, but for over a year plus now, I got an 8,000 square foot office in Pakistan. I got an entire staff. I got hundreds of callers on the phones in Pakistan. And I personally train them every single week to serve up leads to not only my company, but the industry. So this is how I differentiated ourselves from all the other cold callers. We don't use the word investor. We don't use the word cash buyer. We don't say that at all in our pitches, whether it's on the front end or the back end with my acquisition team. So we just say, hey, we're calling you from Home Finders Network, and we're looking for individuals in the Charlotte area that are looking to sell their property. Is that something you would possibly be interested in? Obviously, there has to be a yes in order for them to proceed. And then what we say is we work, we work with a network of buyers in the area that are actively buying. So that's all we do. And we're saying the same thing. We're just not using the word investor or cash buyer. Right. So we say we work with a group of buyers in the area that are looking for homes. And then there's certain questions they ask. I want all my leads 
to want to sell in six months or less. Some people will say a year or less. I just want mine served up six months or less. It's my job to take six months and make it 90 days or 60 days, right? Right. As a closer. And then once they get very limited information, I'm a firm believer, the less your cold call company is saying, the better off we are. So if they can get a yes, six months or less, a motivation out of them and a price. If they don't get a price, I don't give a shit because it's kind of irrelevant what they tell somebody in another country what they want for their house. Mm -hmm. And you don't know how many times they've been called that day, they, that week, that month. So their numbers are going to fluctuate on what they say. Fluctuate. Yeah. So once they get all the, and it's a page and a half script, I've created a script that they go off of. Once they qualify, they lead and they get their yeses. There are certain yeses they have to get in order for it to get sent off to quality assurance to review the call. When they wrap up the call, what they say is, now, what we're going to do is we're going to pair your property with the buyer that we bet, uh, that we think best suits your circumstances in the area. So expect a phone call within the next 24 hours. So now when we're calling them for the first time, we go, hey, this is Eric with TLC. Hey, John, this is Eric with TLC Homebuyers. How you doing today? Great. Well, it looks like HomeFinders Network paired your property with us. No, what? you're great, dude. So real quick, real quick. One, you know, you're a call center guy because you have a QA team on your yes. wholesale yep. leads, dude. You know, I never, I have not heard anyone tell me that before. Awesome. Yeah. Sorry to point yeah. that out. Cool. So I love the position now. Okay. So this huge company, this home finder network did the work and they said, you're the, you're the right guy for this person. Love right. it. Okay. So it's like we were picked. We were the chosen mm -hmm. one. Right. And do you have like a, a home finder network kind of website, like branding of any show of any sort? It's a Nothing. generic name, man. It's just yep. generic. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. How great. And like so, you said, a lot of, a lot of people overthink it and, and you don't have to. You, really you don't, don't have to have overthink to. this. This is a, this is a simple model that has been overcomplicated by, by the industry. And I believe, again, my perception on this, just coming in with the experience and track rec record that I have, you got some big, I don't even want to say big influencers or gurus or whatever you want to call them that have, that have casted the wrong information. That's it. It's mm -hmm. the wrong information. You get your hands on the wrong information, it sets you back. You get your hands on the right information, it helps you go forward. Right. So, so, true. So, true. so, so you, you have your pre-qualification, it goes through QA, but then it goes to your sales team. So maybe briefly tell us about your sales team. Yep. So my office today, right now, if you could see outside my window, what I'm looking at is I have five full-time acquisition manager. One of them's in training right now. We have four full-time dispo. We have one full-time a girl here on the team, her name is Jasmine. Her entire job is listing properties on the flat fee MLS. And we're, we're listing it on the flat fee MLS for cash buyers. Not, okay. It's not novations, none of that. It's literally looking for cash buyers. And then we have a full-time TC, full-time closing coordinator. I think my team, if we add all those up with, without, we're including my camera guy. I think we're at like 14 people here in my office right now in Raleigh. Once we get a lead, 
There's a five-step sales process that my entire team has bought into because they know it works. So the five steps are intro, fact find, your pitch, your offer, and your close. And I am a firm believer if one through four is done right, number five, which is closing the deal, should be the easiest part of the entire conversation. Because now they are dealing with somebody they like, trust, and want to do business with. So I'm going to do a quick run through of the five steps. Step one, intro. What this is, is separating ourselves from the competition immediately, gaining control of the phone call and getting the seller engaged and setting very realistic expectations of what's going to happen on that call. So all of our calls here in our office, we make an offer on the first call. We never call back to make an offer. The hardest part about this thing, this business, is getting the damn people on the phone. Why on the phone, on right. Phone? Make that offer. So mm-hmm. when we get them on the phone, it, hey, John, this is Eric with TLC Homebuyers. How you doing today? Great. Well, it looks like your property was paired with us because they thought we'd be a good fit. I'm showing here in the notes because all of our properties or leads should come with some sort of motivation on it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the market's hot, going through a divorce, it doesn't matter. We mention mm-hmm. it because we want them to know, hey, we actually have information on you right in the beginning of the phone call. So it looks like your property was paired with us because they said, you're looking to sell because the market's hot. Well, that's the point of the phone call today to see whether or not your property qualifies. Mm -hmm. So we qualify every single property. And we say that in the very beginning because most people hear, well, I get 100 phone calls a day. I get the hottest property on the block. And they call them up with commission breath, just trying to make offers. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we take the stance in the very beginning. We need to see if this even qualifies. So what I want you to do real quick, John, before I get into talking to you about your property is grab a pen and a paper real quick so I can have you jot all my information down. Because where I think so many people mess up is they go through an entire phone call. They make an offer on a house to somebody over a phone that can't see you. They don't know what you look like. They don't know anything about you. You make an offer and you expect them to say yes. And then after you make that offer, they have to go, and who am I talking to again? Right. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we put a name tag on their desk. Because you're hearing me say, I got a website and a company name. If you don't have it, you're still okay. And then we will say, go ahead and take my phone number down real quick. And then after we give them our phone number, it's the only thing we ask them to repeat. And the reason is, is because I can remember your name. Names are pretty easy to remember. Names of companies are pretty easy to remember, but it's hard to remember phone numbers nowadays. So the only reason we say, hey, and can you repeat the phone number so I know you have it right? I want to know if I got their attention and I have them engaged. Mm -hmm. Because if they can repeat the number, I got their attention. Yeah, they're writing. So, and then after they do that, I'll say, so this is what's going to happen on this phone call. I set the expectation. One or two things are going to happen. I'm going to ask you some questions about the property. I'm just an acquisitions manager. I don't say yes or no on whether or not we buy homes. So I take the pressure off of me and put it on the back office. Because I know when I make that first offer, it's going to be the lowest offer possible. I don't want them to get mad at me. I want them to get mad at the guy in the back. 
So I position right. myself in a way that they are, I'm on their side. My job is to get you as much money as humanly possible for your home. So by the end of the call, one of two things are going to happen. They're either going to say, yes, your property's approved and here's the offer, or they're going to say it doesn't meet the criteria and it's denied and here's the reason why. So that's the intro for us. It takes about a minute and a half to go through our intro. But dude, if you got somebody after an intro that's willing to stick through that conversation, when you mm -hmm. just told them their property might not qualify, you have an interested person on the phone. More importantly, yep. you have separated yourself from the competition because nobody else doing this shit. Mm -hmm. All they're doing is saying, Hey, what, what's the age of your roof? What's the age of your AC? And what upgrades have you done? Like, that's about the extent of most conversations in this industry. Right. Um, then we go into fact find. They're, my team, uh, our team is supposed to spend seven minutes on fact find, trying to figure out why they need the money. So I don't want my team talking about money for the first almost nine minutes of a phone call. I don't want them to ask about the house. I don't want them to talk about the house. I want them to figure out why they are still on the phone and haven't clicked that little red button, which ends the phone call and ultimately means I'm not interested. So if they say I'm Doug being a landlord, awesome. You know what? The crazy thing is that the last three properties that I've gotten qualified were all from people that didn't want to be a landlord. You know, the one that sticks out for me, I always, we always use third-party stories. We want to relate to them of saying, you know what? This isn't the first time I've done this. I've dealt with people in your situation. Here's what I was able to do for them when I got them qualified. And then I always tie the money they get to a problem they solved. Like Mrs. Jones, she had her granddaughter in the property and she broke the number one rule when it comes to rental properties. You don't rent to friends or family members. Family, right. It's the same story every time. So I don't have to think about what I'm saying. And then, and then what I'll say is, you know, the easiest way for her to get her granddaughter out of the house is just say, hey, honey, it, you know, someone's buying the property. We're going to have to find somewhere else for you to go. Yep. But here's the beautiful thing about it. When we were able to help her get her granddaughter out of the house and back into her life, she got $57,000 at closing. She was able to pay off $35,000 in credit card debt that she had been saddled with for the last 10 years. She was debt-free for the first time in her entire life. So I understand, Mr. Homeowner, you say you don't want to be a landlord, but why? And after that was a question mark. A question mark, people, is a stop sign for you to shut up and for the homeowner to talk. Most people will ask questions and then they, they give them a few answers for them to pick through and then that's ultimately what the seller will end up saying usually. So when you ask a question, shut up and let the people answer. So that, that's one intro. That's two fact fine. Pitch is the house. That's step three. We always start outside. Then we go inside. We try to ask questions. Other people are, we try to ask questions. Other people aren't asking. So we sound different. Once we talk about the house, mm -hmm. then we make the offer. But before we make the offer, which is step four, we put every single seller on two, three minute holds. Once we're done talking about the house, what the house should take you about 15 minutes. 
So if you do the math, you're about 25 minutes into a call before you're ever making an offer. An offer, yeah. Now, when we put them on the first hole, because remember, we're qualifying the property. So what we do is we say, all right, I appreciate you, all the information that you've given us. What I'm going to do real quick is I'm going to get up from my desk and I'm going to run back to the, uh, to the underwriters depart, uh, office because they've been looking at the property for about the last 15 minutes. So I want to go see what they're thinking. So just bear with me real quick as I run back there. And again, it's how I positioned what I was getting ready to do. If I just said, hold on real quick, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to talk to the underwriters. I said, no, I'm going to get up from my desk real quick. I'm going to run back there and see what the underwriters are thinking. While all we're doing is putting our phone on mute for three minutes and we're sitting there and listening to them. So since we're at this point, um, let's kind of discover something. So now obviously you have to have the offer ready at some level, right? So you, yes. so are you taking, so you have, so I'm assuming you do your analysis before the call. No. Okay. No. So, okay. So, so you're doing it on the call after you, they tell you what's going wrong with the house or like how yeah. are you figuring out the offer? Yep. Good question. If you're a one man band and you're only getting a couple leads, I'll be running before you run your numbers before you make the call, make right? The call. Yep. If you're only getting a couple leads or while you're doing the six two six minute hold, run it then. Okay. Because once you get them on the phone, you don't want to let them go without making an offer. So the way right. I run my office though, is I have all my closers in a line of cubicles and I stand at the very uh, front of those cubicles and I underwrite every single deal every single day. So I am allowing my closers to focus on the conversation while I run the numbers for them. Awesome. I'm hiring to replace myself in that position right now so I can step back and, and, and start building the business more. But I underwrite everything for the team right now. Are, are you, gotcha. are you calculate? So you're, you're serving on a platter, your, your closer, the, the number. And when you're, are you going ARV minus, 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 or are you going, Hey, cash buyers are paying X in this community. What, how are you doing that? Yep. So we will, my philosophy is I only got to find one other person to sell what I saw to buy a deal from us. So we will lock deals up off the equation, which anything in all of our markets, anything over 200 grand, we do times 0.8 minus rehab gives us our sell at. Mm -hmm. And then we always deduct 40, our first offer, 95% of the time, our first offer has $40,000 in it. So you're doing 0.8 okay. minus rehab minus 40. Did I miss minus, minus 40. 40. Okay. Anything under 200 grand, we do times 0.75, same calculation. Minus rehab gives us our sell at. Okay. Okay. On rural yep. areas, we always stick to 0.75. Okay. So you have 80%, 75% minus rehab minus that 40K. Yep. Globally, since I've been in business, uh, our average assignment fee right now is just a hair over $20,000 average for two and a half years. That's good. Because most, most assignment fees are, you know, when you're doing national average, most assignment fees are right around that, that 12 to 13K. So, yeah, you're yep. about We're 30 just a hair over 20 grand. Okay. Good. So, so you yep. guys that's listening, right? 
You got one is the intro, two is fact fine, three is the pitch, four is the offer, five is the close. So as you can see, talking with Eric, it's not rocket science, like I said earlier. It's just having that conversation, knowing those motivation triggers, and then positioning yourself to be that answer for the, for the homeowner. Because they have a problem, you just have to find out how can I solve that problem for them. Another question to throw in there. So on the rehab part, because I know a lot of people always want to know, how do I run the numbers? It's a big question mm -hmm. we always get. So um, the rehab part. So are you going by price per square foot in a certain market? How, you know, level of rehab based on the call? What are you thinking on the rehab? Yep. So it all goes down to the notes you take on that call, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't ask the right questions, you're going to get the wrong numbers. So they... You, you got to walk through a home. And that's why we walk the exterior. We're asking questions. Tell me about the yard. What type of work needs to be yeah. done in the yard? Most people don't think that it costs money to clean the yard out. It mm. costs money to clear junk out. Is there anything on the property outside of the house? Is there a shed, abandoned cars, anything like that that's going to be uh, need to be removed? They're not going to tell you that. It's your job to ask the questions. Yeah. Right? And then we're asking all the exterior questions, the siding, has it been repainted? Has it been resided? Is it all the same color? Is there any missing pieces? When we go in the house, we're literally walking room to room. What's the floor look like? Is there trim? Do you have popcorn ceilings? Is there recessed lighting? Do the electrical outlets work? Like we train our guys to walk through a property and it just make, it makes your offer sound more legitimate. Like, how are you going to make an offer on a home sight unseen without asking very detailed questions about a property? It just doesn't even sound right. Um, but yeah, we have a sheet that we go off of and we have different square footage ranges. And then we have the different level of rehab that would need to be done. And we literally live and die by that sheet. And that's how we run our business. We've just systematized it. So we'll go off of, the, the calculation, we will go off the 1% rule. We'll lock deals up off the 1% rule. We will lock deals up off being the cheapest thing in the area by 15 to 20 grand. And again, we only need to go to find one buyer to see what we saw in, in, in locking that deal up. Yeah. What investor doesn't want to buy the cheapest house in a neighborhood? Hell, all of them do. Yeah. Love it, so, man. So, so Eric, uh, my last question, um, and hopefully you can uh, answer this, is what's your contract to close ratio? Like how many contracts are you locking up and bringing them all the way to close versus the ones that you lock up and then they fail? Great question. So we, on average, are doing 45 to 65 contracts a month. Wow. Mm -hmm. Right now, we're running at about a 45% cancellation rate. Okay. I think it was in the last 90 days, we have done $1.3 million in assignments. Okay. And the reason why I ask that is because a lot of people, especially newer people, are saying, well, what if I can't close the deal? What if I can't find a buyer? What if I, what if I, what if I? And I'm like, there's, you know, you got to look at the law of averages. You're going to have some transactions that just don't go through. It's just like yes. when you go to a car lot, you go sit in four or five different cars and they test drive two or three up 
until you find that one that you want. So you have to look at, hey, some of these may not work out, but you got to be able to justify why they don't work out. So that's why I want to ask that uh, contract to close ratio. Well, that's a very important part that that's really not discussed like online. So you always hear, hey, do you want to scale your business? Three deals, five deals a month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, you actually need to have, if you want five, you have to have like 10, 12 in the pipeline, you know? Yeah. Um, that's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and in this, if you're dispoing every deal you lock up, you're missing deals. Deals, yeah. Yeah, like if you're, if you're getting rid of 100% of the deals you're locking up, you're being way too conservative. Yeah. Like yeah. you want a cancellation rate, you gotta take some, like some of the deals we're like, hey, let, let's throw that on the board and see if it sticks. Turns into mm -hmm. a, a, a $20,000, $25,000 deal. We're like, how the hell did that happen? How did that happen? Yeah. Been there, done that. Yeah. So that happened one too many times. And we're like, we live by the motto, when in doubt, lock it up. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Mm -hmm. I love oh, it, man. So, so. We, pro we probably hit our time limit here and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and <laughs> I, and I would love to, you know, maybe part two this and just talk about your dispo team. I can only yeah. imagine that's a whole nother process in itself that you can break down. Yeah. Uh, a whole nother animal, man. I could actually put you guys in touch with my business partner, Tony. He does mm -hmm. the whole dispo side of our business. Okay. Okay. If he's up for well, an yeah. interview, that'd be great. He, he would 100% do an interview with you guys, and he is a animal when it comes to dispo. All right. Perfect. I'll take you up on it. Yeah, let's do that. This All is great, right. man. I'll let so, him know. Okay. So, Eric, man, in closing, how can we find you? How can we reach out to you? I know you got a strong following on Instagram, man. Kind of give us your handle and how we can get in touch with you. The Eric Klein. On Instagram, that's about, I mean, I'm other, I'm on other platforms. I'm the most active on that one. So it's the Eric, E-R-I-C, Klein, C-L-I-N-E. Perfect. The right, Eric Klein. Give him a follow. Okay. Oh, yeah, the, yeah. Thanks for going deep into your company, man. Like that, that really, you didn't have to do that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm here, yep. I'm, I'm here to, appreciate. I'm here to serve, man. Well, all right, guys. Yeah. So, you know, ex oh, real quick. now you got the keys to the kingdom, man. Like you could literally listen to this episode and start your wholesale business. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's what you, that's what you need to do. And then follow so, Eric too. <laughs> You're <yeah>. good. <laughs> so guys, thank you so much for being loyal listeners to the, um, as show again, get out there and take massive action, right? Because it takes one property. That's all it takes is one contract for you to get that aha moment to say, you know what? Wow. I can do this. I can scale this. I can do more. So thank you, Eric, again, for being here, for really giving us the breakdown of your business and motivation to get out there take that action and go so right now on our bats is a bright green light saying go 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 so all of our listeners should be rocketing off to the mole and really locking up deals so thank I'm you have so much. voice in my head we got that energy <laughs> get. i'm gonna go make a call on myself right now <laughs> cool all right man. guys thank so you. give us feel free you know, if you like the content that we're putting out, you know, give us a five-star review on all podcast platforms. We're on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, threads, Twitter, everywhere. So remember, just look for Azria, A-Z-R-E-I-A, or go to our website, azria.org, A-Z-R-I-A.org. Thank you so much, and we appreciate you, and we'll be talking with you 
Until next time. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delprine. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.